0: Philippians chapter 1 verse 19 The Apostle Paul writing to the church at Philippi says For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance Through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ According to my earnest expectation and hope That in nothing I shall be ashamed but with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, this will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I shall choose I cannot tell, for I am hard-pressed between the two. I have a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. Thank you very much. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. That's God's Word. We've been moving through the book of Philippians and we've been looking at it through the lens as we've talked about time and again partnership in the gospel that we're partners in the gospel and Paul used that word in the opening of the letter to talk to the Philippian church and he used it to say that his gratitude for them is based upon the fact when he prays he expresses gratitude to the to God for their partnership from the very first day that they started until now the apostle Paul is writing to them We'll we talking about it time and again and we'll hear it time and again through this series on Philippians, as we go through it verse by verse, God willing, that the words rejoicing and joy and glad are mentioned some 19 times in four short chapters. And the reason those words are mentioned 19 times in four short chapters is because another word is mentioned 40 times in four short chapters. And that word is Jesus. Jesus. And this is a Jesus book. As a matter of fact, this is a Jesus book. And uh, the whole Bible was written to point to God's Son. The title of this message is Supplied to Glorify. Supplied to Glorify. And as we look through this passage, we're going to look at the prayer. We're going to look at the power. We're going to look at the proclamation. We're going to look at the prediction. We're going to look at the pull. And we're going to look at His perspective. Prayer, power, proclamation, prediction, pull, and perspective. First is prayer. I want you to look at what he says in verse 19. He said, For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. He said, You know what? I've got confidence in the intercessory prayer that you are offering up for me because they did pray for Paul like we talked about. They prayed for Paul and they financially supported Paul. And they knew of Paul's plight. He was there under house arrest like we've talked about time and again, chained to a Roman guard 24-7 under the authority of the Roman guard to ultimately go to Caesar. Um, and this has been a big journey for him, and we went through that a couple of weeks ago, and how he got to this place. And the Apostle Paul says, I've got some confidence here, and that is my confidence is based on two things. I've got two sources for my confidence. First is the power of prayer on my behalf, that you're my partner in prayer. The second one is the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. And for the, for those two reasons, I'm confident this is going to work out for my deliverance. Whatever deliverance means. Whether deliverance means to be offered up and put in front of Caesar and have your head cut off. Or whether it means to be acquitted of all charges and sent back onto the field. Whatever deliverance means. and However you want to define it. And we know that Paul had a definition of it as we move on further in the text. But whatever deliverance means, the circumstances I'm in are going to work out for my deliverance because of the power of prayer and the supply of the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit in me. That intercessory prayer Paul was all too familiar with. I want want you to be encouraged by something this morning. Now I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but it would be helpful if we begin in the body of Christ to start being honest and not trying to pretend or play games and how that even a Christian can sometimes get in a real low point. But I want, you to, I, want you to, I want you to see something in the Scriptures this morning that I hope will encourage you. Because you might have come in here at a low point. You might come in here and you're high-fiving and shaking hands with all of us and saying amen. That's wonderful. I'm not saying that's fake, but deep down inside you might be carrying something. You might be at a real low ebb in your life. And none of us around you might, might not know it because you're ashamed. Oh, as Christians are supposed to be victorious all the time and walking in victory all the time. Well, that's certainly God's plan. But there are times until the victory comes and until we walk in it, you can get to a low spot. And the Apostle Paul was all too familiar with that. And I want you to look at this in 2 Corinthians. Turn will be over there. Turn left and go to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians. And we're going to look at chapter 1, verses 8 through 11. I suppose that every Christian in here can identify what the Apostle Paul is about to say right here. But I want you to look at, at the word he uses for the condition that he was in, the phrase he uses for the condition he was in. Now this is the Apostle Paul we're talking about here. We're not talking about an obscure Christian or a Christian that was halfway devoted to the Lord. We were talking about somebody that lived in full throttle surrender to Jesus Christ. And this is what he writes here. Look at Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren, of our trouble which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure above strength. Now look at this phrase. So that we despaired even of life. Have you ever thought about the Apostle Paul like that? Have you ever stopped to think? I mean, this guy who saw God do miraculous things, who wrote a good portion of the New Testament, and yet the Apostle Paul, with the, with the walk that he had with the Lord, had gotten to the point in such an ebb in his Christian experience that he despaired even of living. and then now now look at the key here and this should encourage you as members of the body of Christ as members of the body of Christ. It's a big deal to be a member of the body of Christ and to be placed into a, a local church at God's discretion, at his call, he's the head of the church, and the Bible teaches that he takes people and puts them in a local body of, of believers at his discretion. that's his call to do that. And doing that is accompanied by a plan. And that plan is that we live for Him and in so living for Him, we're going to be a blessing to one another. And look what His confidence rested in in this text as well. Look at this. Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from so great a death and does deliver us in whom we trust that He will still deliver us. And look at verse 11. You also helping together in prayer for us that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through the many. He said, you know what? I despaired of living, but I know this. I've come out of the disparity. I've come out. I've come into a place of deliverance. I will go to a place of deliverance, just like he said in Philippians. And the way I'll get there is through the prayers of God's people. In order to tell you something about the importance and the weight and the value and the power and the authority God assigns the church to pray for, support, and encourage one another. Can I say this to you? You be mindful and be ever mindful of the need. And can I ask this? And I'm going to ask this. I didn't ask this for Pastor Dave before we uh, got here this morning, but I want to ask you this and make this appeal because I'm sure he'll agree with it. Would you please pray for him and I? I'm telling you right now, I do not know what I'm doing. That won't be news to most of you. But I don't know what I'm doing. And I I don't don't have any ability or power to do anything. And I just flat need your prayers. And I know that Pastor Dave would echo that. Is that right, Dave? Please pray for us. Will you please do that? I'm not saying you don't. But I'm begging you to pray for me. And I'm begging you to pray for Dave. We need it. We need it. And you know what? You need it. There's a person in here this morning. In here this morning at 4.14, three nights ago, God woke me up and just as clear as a bell told me to pray for this person. Clear as a bell. I've got the, the clock sitting right beside me on my side of the bed. And I looked up at the clock and it said 4.14. And as soon as I looked at the clock and it measured with me, God put somebody in my heart who's in this room right now to pray for i 'm telling you right now i don't know what's going on with that life, but I know I was supposed to pray for that person. Listen, his confidence in delivering look at the order he put it in now now wait just a minute don't don't write me letters or send me nasty emails for this, but he said prayer, and then he said the supply of the Holy Spirit. You would think he would put the supply of the Holy Spirit first. That doesn't mean that the supply of the Holy Spirit ranks lower than prayer. What it's saying is, saints, you have the prerogative, the privilege, and the power of prayer. The world has been opened up. Heaven's Gates have been opened up to God's own. And he said, you know what? You have access now. Peace. You have standing with me. That's what that word means. In Romans chapter 5, verse 1, it says we have peace with God and access. And so that word access means the same word it would mean that if you had credentials and a pass to go into in front of a sovereign king to have an audience with him. This is what the saints have in prayer. Ask for prayer. Don't be afraid to ask for prayer. Sometimes we don't know you need prayer because you don't ask. Listen, I'm not criticizing you for it. I'm saying don't rob us of the blessing of praying for you. Don't rob us of the specifics. Whatever we need to know. Some things we might not need to know. I remember a friend of mine was a music evangelist and he was at a church and they were at a Wednesday prayer meeting. And a husband and wife were sitting there and they were apparently in turmoil and would not Things weren't going well in the home. And the wife stood up and said, Pastor, I want you to pray for a black man. <laughs> You're like, oh, goodness gracious. I said, turn in your hymn book. Let's, you know, whatever we do. Listen, not that kind of stuff. But here's the deal. We need to know. Let us get in your Gethsemane. Let's watch and pray together. Let's wait on the Lord together. Let's contend in prayer together. Let's go after the throne. Will he find faith on earth when he comes? In, this, in, the, in the parable of the woman who sought justice from an unrighteous judge? And he said, listen, if that unrighteous judge would avenge her and give her justice, what do you think God will do for his elect? He was confident because there was intercessory prayer being offered up to him for him on his behalf. That was his confidence in 1 Corinthians. Get us to pray. Don't make your prayers gossip. But get us to pray. Solicit the prayer of God's people. People who are intimate and in your circle. Get them to pray for you. Get them to pray for you. Ask them to intercede. And did you know right now? I'm going to tell you this right now. When Brian interceded for that church right there, he was praying things. I've, I hadn't said a word to him about that church. And he was praying things that were dead on it in need of prayer for that church. Dead on it. That was a spirit led prayer. I know it was. We could have known it any other way, except he was talking to the Father. And the Holy Spirit was interceding. Get us in the loop. We need to be praying for one another. That's the source. That's the supply. And by the way, we have the power of the Holy Spirit living within us. Aren't you grateful for that as believers? The Bible says, and we've talked about this time and again, that every single believer is indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Now there are many feelings, but there's only one indwelling. And as soon as you profess faith in Christ, as soon as you repent of your sins and put your faith in Jesus, you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. Let me look, let me tell you, you want to give a secret to to, uh, to his strength? Look at Acts chapter 9. Look at Acts chapter 9, verses 17 and 18. You know, one of the strongest New Testament churches that I've ever, that I'm aware of, that I just look at that church and go, man, this church seems to really have tapped in to the power that God wants for a New Testament church. I went with a contingent of people, uh, other pastors friends of mine at their invitation uh, to go to visit this church and they have a prayer meeting on Tuesday night. And the prayer meeting on Tuesday night, they line up six blocks to get in there to pray. And I saw that with my own eyes. If you told me that there are a group of people, and especially if they're in Brooklyn, New York, that line up six blocks down to get into a building to pray, I'd go, man, I've got to see that to believe it. And I saw it with my own eyes. I watched it. It was Brooklyn Tabernacle. And we spent the whole day with them. We went to their staff meeting. We, went, we just hung out and meandered around that church. And that's just an awesome church because we serve an awesome God. This is an awesome church, but God is awesome. And he's heavy upon that fellowship. And there's a prayer grace on that fellowship like anything, nothing I've ever seen before. And we were sitting in the staff meeting. I'll never forget it. And he was sitting there talking. And, of course, his wife is the leader of that famous Brooklyn Tabernacle choir. And I remember I was sitting beside a pastor friend of mine and we were, they were having their staff meeting and he said, let me tell you this. He said, here's the deal. He said, my wife does not have a music degree and doesn't know how to, didn't know until recently how to read music. And he said, I don't have a seminary degree and we do not know what we're doing. And absent the power of God, we can't, we can't minister in this church. And I remember hitting my friend and saying, well, we've heard everything we need. We can go back to Atlanta because that right there is the secret of their power. That's it right there. That's it right there. Listen, but look at you. Look, you'll see the secret of Paul's power. Acts chapter 9, verses 17 and 18. You recall that this is the conversion account of Paul with the Holy Spirit. Jesus met him on the Damascus Road. And he was converted. He was on his way to persecute Christians, and everything changed on the Damascus Road. He was saved gloriously, like anybody else who is saved. We're all gloriously saved. Ananias is commissioned by. The Lord to go talk to him and see him. And he goes and sees him. And here's what happens. says in verse 17, And Ananias went his way and entered the house where Paul was. And laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, has sent me that you may receive your sight. And here it is. This is the piano part. And be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from him his, his, his eyes something like scales. He received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized, and the rest is history. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. That was the source of his power. See, what he was doing was, is he wasn't drawing on his own resources. He was drawing on eternal resources through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives within him. Look at Philippians 3.3. 3. A lot of times God teaches me things in threes. Maybe that's probably because He knows I can't go much beyond that. But He'll teach me things in threes. It seems like there's just all kind of threes in the Bible. Maybe it's to point to the Trinity. I don't know what it is, but there's just all kind of trilogies in the Bible where God teaches me something and I try to latch on to it and ask Him to embed it in my brain. And this is one of them. This is my prayer for you. This is my prayer for me. Look at Philippians chapter 3, verse 3. The Apostle Paul Talking about his confidence lying in the Lord. He's getting ready to introduce the fleshly reasons why he should have confidence in himself and why he renounced that confidence and put his faith squarely in God. And he said this this is the kind of people we are. We're not, we are the circumcision. There's a spiritual circumcision. And who, what are we like? Here's the trilogy. We worship God in spirit, we rejoice in Christ Jesus, and we have no confidence in the flesh. Would it be said of every member of Household of Faith Bible Church that we worship God in spirit, number one, we rejoice in Christ Jesus because we know He's our sole hope, number two, and we have no confidence left in ourselves. That's a resume. That's the only kind of resume that impresses Jesus right there. I've run out of confidence in myself. This is the kind of person that Paul was. So he said, okay, with the supply of the Spirit in me, that's the power, and with the prayer that taps into that power and shores up and reinforces that power and gives me daily victory, I know that whatever happens to me is going to work out for the deliverance. I'm asking God to give us a prayer grace on this fellowship. Did you know time and again, time and again, we've seen God move and answer and do supernatural things. I'm hearing testimonies of you right now, of people that you're praying for, and you're talking to them in conversations, and they're saying things that give evidence of the fact that God's working in their life, drawing them to Himself, and you've never seen that kind of evidence before. Put their name up here. Let's go to praying. Amen. That's where the power becomes. And so there's the prayer, there's the power, and then there's the proclamation. Partners pray, partners have power, and partners proclaim. Look what he says in verse 20. Let's go over and look at it. He said, listen, here's the deal. I know that this is going to turn out from a deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ who indwells all believers, not just apostles and big shots. According to my earnest expectation and hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by my life or whether by my death. The Apostle Paul said this, here's the deal. Whatever happens to me, I have such hope and confident assurance of a confident outcome. I'm bold, and I have a boldness to assert this, that through the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, whether I die or whether I live, Jesus Christ is going to be magnified through my testimony. Wouldn't you like for that to be said of us? That whether we live, whether we die, whatever circumstance we're in, we can count on this one thing. I'm walking in the Spirit. As far as I know, I'm walking in obedience to God. I've got an obedient walk. I'm prayed up. I'm anticipating Him. I'm not trusting in myself. I'm trusting in Him. I've got people who are praying for me. And I know that today, that whatever happens, whether I get stopped in traffic, whether or not somebody runs into me, or whether or not God takes me out today, He, Jesus Christ, is going to be glorified by my life. We've talked about this time and again. John fifteen twenty six says this, But when the Helper comes, speaking of the Holy Spirit, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, He will testify of me. When the Holy Spirit has His way in the life of a believer, He testifies of Jesus. And He works through any and every circumstance to do that. That somehow or another, my life is going to point others to the cross where He died and three days later rose again. This is the proclamation. My life is a proclamation. I live and breathe and move in the hope of the gospel. I'm not ashamed of it. Romans 6, one sixteen says, the Apostle Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the dynamite of God, for it is the dynamite of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. I'm not ashamed of it we talked about it time and again, but nowadays we go into the closet with things we ought to be proud of and come out of the closet on what we ought to be ashamed of. I've heard it said before that, Genesis, that, that believers don't need twenty-twenty vision. The believers need 50-20 vision. Because Genesis 50-20 is when Joseph said, To his brothers, what the enemy meant for evil. God's turned out for good. God give us 50-20 vision. Whatever you do, whatever you throw at me, I'm walking in the Spirit. I'm rejoicing. I'm worshiping Him in spirit. I'm rejoicing in Christ Jesus alone. He's my sole hope. And I don't have any confidence left in me anymore. However difficult your circumstance is right now as a believer, I'll assure you that intricate to it, not just part and parcel, but the very essence and core of what He's putting you through is to in greater measure strip you of the confidence you might have in yourself. He really is. He wants to do that in greater measure. And we want Him to do that in greater measure. The Holy Spirit lives within us. So He will do that in greater measure. And when He does that, the Gospel is going to be proclaimed. It's going to be proclaimed by our life. It's proclaimed by our words. going to be proclaimed by our witness. I remember one time, I know Dan went to Georgia Tech and still going there, working on a doctorate, he told me the other day. and uh, We went, We used to go to First Baptist Atlanta, and we'd go down to the uh, Georgia Tech campus and witnessed everything that moved. We went to uh, Piedmont Park one time and started witnessing out there and a bunch of homosexuals that hang out there. And We would go around witnessing everybody and came up on a guy one time, and he said, you guys are prophetizing? I said, no, Republican. I don't know what prophetizing meant. You'll get that in a minute. We should be prophetizing, proclaiming, proclamation that Jesus, whether in life or in death, is going to be magnified. So we see the prayer, we see the power, we see the proclamation, and we see the prediction. Look at this. For me to live... For me to live is to for Christ to live, and to die is gain. Partners are vessels through whom God produces fruit. I'm dead. I no longer live, but Christ lives in me, and the life I live in the flesh I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave Himself for me. I have been crucified with Christ. It's like Bill Stafford. I love that example when he said he looked outside and saw his car burning up in the driveway. He didn't know why it got started. The fire did or whatever. But remember he said, he looked out the driveway and said, well, Lord, your car is burning up in the driveway. Because see, that's the deal, isn't it? If you're crucified, you don't own anything anymore. Dead people don't own anything. We don't have anything to lose because we don't have anything. And when you find out that you don't have anything to lose, that's when you just begin to realize what it means to live. That's what it means that if you're going to try to preserve your life and save your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life, you find it. It's the paradox of Christian living. It's the Jim Elliot assertion that says, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep in exchange for what he cannot lose. Let me ask you a question. What is for you to live? What is, what is real living for you? What is real living? If, if you had to honestly write this down with nobody looking, and let's just get before the Lord. Let's get, let's get out in the field somewhere and get before the Lord and get a little notepad out. And say, okay, I want you to take this verse and I want you to fill in that verse. And could you fill in Christ? For me to live is Christ? And to die is gain? Or is there another word that really should be filled in there? For me to live is money. And when you die, you will lose it. For me to live is I've got to have that relationship. I have got to be affirmed. I've got to be loved that person. I've got to have it. For me to live is to have that relationship and when you die, you will lose it. For me it's notoriety. I've got to have I've got to be somebody. I've got I'm screaming out. I've got to be noticed. I have got to be affirmed by others. I've got to I've got to draw upon the attention I get from others. And I tell you right now, when you die, you will lose that. For me, it's health. I need to be in just the best health I can be in. I've just got to be, to be top notch. And the Bible says that body exercise profits little, but godliness with contentment is a source of great gain. And I'm telling you right now, when you lose your life, you will lose your health. For me, to live is to be married. I've got to be married. I've got to be married. I've got to have somebody that says I am somebody. And the only way that I can be affirmed that I'm linked up with somebody that says I'm somebody is I've got to marry a person. I've got to marry a human being. And maybe it's got to be that specific one. And if I can't have that, I can't have life. And if you get that, when you die, you will lose it. I don't care what you put in the blank. It doesn't matter. For me to live is blank Fill it out, fill it out, put it in there, and I promise you one thing, whatever's in there will write checks for your life that it cannot cash. For me to live is to be debt free. For me to live is to be... Uh, rich for me to live is this, that, the other thing. And we're constantly striving and we're constantly moving forward trying to think, if I could just get to that point, that's life. Let me tell you something right now. If you cannot rest in Jesus and find your life in Him, whenever you get what you want, you won't find life in that either. What do you have to have before you can say I'm truly living? And the Apostle Paul, for him, was this. I already have it. For me to live is Christ to live. I am dead. I found my all in Him. I am chained to a praetorian guard under 24-7 guard and there are people who are out there witnessing and trying to do it in such a way to make me envious because I'm no longer out there and trying to evoke envy and jealousy in me and I'm not jealous one bit because the same thing that motivated me out there is the same one who motivates me right here I am in Christ and Christ is in me and I have found Him to be more than enough We settle for so little when we have the potential for so much. Is that what it takes to bring life? All of those things? Because if that's what it takes to bring life, and whatever you put in that blank, if it's not Christ, it's idolatry. You don't have to live like that. You don't have to live like that. You don't have to live like that. It doesn't have to be. That does not have to be your testimony. Just trust Him. Let Him have His way with you. He said, listen, I am making a bold prediction here. For me to live is Christ and die is gain. If I live on, whoever's around me is going to see Jesus in me. And that wasn't arrogant." That was a humble admission of a man who was broken and no longer trusted in himself, but totally trusted in Christ. You get around me, spend some time with me, you're going to get to see Jesus. That was an arrogant statement. He was saying that to encourage us. That could be mine and your testimony. Hang around with me long enough and you will see Him displayed. Hang around, just watch my life, I dare you. You're not going to see a perfect life. You're not going to find one. You've been alone for a long wait there. I'm not, I'm not saying that. But you're going to see a broken person who's humble before God, who's willing to admit when they make mistakes and who loves like Jesus because Jesus is loving through me. Isn't that awesome that we could be that free? Wrapping it up and look at the pool. Look at the pool, 23 and 24. Can you imagine saying this with integrity? If I live on in the flesh, mean fruit for my labor, that's my expectation, that's the prediction, but here's the pull right here. What I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed. That word means like I'm between a rock and a hard place, like Al said a while ago. I'm hard pressed between the two. I'm having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. That wasn't an arrogant assertion. It was just truth. It wasn't a desire, to just some morbid desire to escape this world. It wasn't that. We do look for heaven and we do look for the glory to follow. We do look at that. But we don't have, if the Spirit's in control of us, some morbid desire to escape. We just say, you know what, while I'm here, I'm still going to enjoy Him. I'm still going to draw from Him. I'm still going to fellowship with Him. I'm still going to commune with Him. He's going to have His way with me and He'll be seen in me and produce fruit through me. But I could go on up there. I'm hard-pressed between the two. And God's give, God said, listen, I'm going to settle you here for a little bit longer because I'm not finished with you. It's not... T- it's It's not an evasive action. It's not saying I hate this world. It's saying I hate this world system but I love the people who make it up and if I can stick around and God can use me for His glory, then so be it. You can only say you can only say to die is gain when you can truthfully say to live is Christ. And you can only begin to live When you're ready to die. And you can only die. Through the cross of the Savior. And you can only live. Through his resurrected life. Hallelujah. 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 He said here's the perspective. 25 and 26. We're covering this fast. For I am hard pressed between the two. Having a desire to depart and be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. Being confident of this, I shall remain and continue with you for your progress and your joy of faith. That your rejoicing for me may be more abundant, Jesus Christ, by my coming to you again. Can I, can I say this? I want to be real careful with this because I don't want to be misunderstood and then we'll close out and Pastor Dave will come up and close us out. Let me, can I say this to you and just say it and I hope and say it in a way that not misunderstood? When, in the life of a believer, talking to a believer, if you've repented toward God and put your faith in Jesus Christ, your suffering is redemptive. Any suffering that you go through is redemptive. Now, it doesn't purchase anybody's redemption. There, let's do not make that mistake. That was finished at the cross of Calvary. But God uses it redemptively to point to Calvary to others. So your suffering is used in the benefit of others. It has a redemptive nature to it. And the Apostle Paul said this, My suffering is benefiting this church. My suffering is benefiting even the guys out there who are more bold to proclaim the gospel than they would otherwise be because they see me under, under uh, the custody of Caesar and yet I'm thriving! Whatever is happening to me is advancing the gospel. When partners in the gospel and we have that right perspective, we can rejoice in our suffering. Suffering is used to conform us to the image of Jesus. If suffering is His method and his, His purpose is Jesus, then we can rejoice in it. Whatever you're going through, this is why we shouldn't be so recluse to one another. We should let other people know. I put a prayer request down. I didn't intend to say this, but several months ago I put a prayer request down and I put it anonymously and it was me. And I said, I despair of living. Please pray for me. I can get that way and so can you. We need to be honest with one another. We can get out of the pile. The problem is we're not to stay under the pile. And we should be lifting one another up and encouraging one another and coming along beside one another and say, keep on keeping on. Keep your eyes on Jesus. I'm with you. I'm with you. We're together. Let's go through this together. That's the perspective. It benefits other people because the Apostle Paul said, and we'll go to this first and we'll close out. Second Timothy chapter 2 turn right and go to second timothy chapter 2 if you will verse 8 boy if this is not the clarion call for a pastor if this these are called pastoral epistles by the way so they were written to a young pastor named timothy from a apostle named paul and he said buddy here's the deal let me tell you what pastoral ministry is all about. Let me tell you what the church order will look like. Let me tell you your responsibilities as a pastor. Let me encourage you. Before I get out of here, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave my last will and testament. These are some of the most precious words in the Bible. I refer to them all the time as a pastor. And well, we should. But listen to what he said. Boy, if this just hit home with a pastor, I don't know who it does hit home with. But it should hit home with you as well. Look at verse eight. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffered trouble as an evil-doer, even to the point of chains. Now see. A couple of weeks ago, we went through that, didn't we? We went through the whole narrative of how he suffered trouble as an evildoer to the point of change because of preaching that there's a resurrection. You remember that? He said, Christ is raised from the dead. There is a resurrection. And all the Sadducees, you remember? If you don't believe in the resurrection, you're sad, you see. And every one of them got mad at him and put him under arrest and wanted to tear his body apart because of preaching that there is a resurrection. Those chains came from there. But the Word of God is not changed. Hallelujah. Therefore, look at this. I endure all things for the sake of the elect that they also may be able to attain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Saint, have you ever thought of your suffering and the call to endure it as being beneficial for others? Have you ever thought about in the midst of suffering, I will endure this for the sake of the elect? I am going to endure this for the sake of those who are called out to salvation and those who are yet to be called out for salvation. I'm not going to gripe and grumble and fuss at God and get mad at Him and be be jaundiced toward God. I'm just going to say, you know what, in the middle of all this, first of all, for a believer, anything outside of hell is grace. And say, okay, right here, I have been called upon. God is going to work through my difficulty and my circumstances redemptively, not to save anybody, but to show them their need for salvation and who will save them because the work of the cross is finished. Don't send me emails. The work of the cross is finished. Redemption's over, but he was, does work through the life of a believer redemptively to show them their need of a redeemer. You see, we're missing it. We're missing it. We still think the earth is the middle of the universe. We have not, it's not occurred to us that the sun is in the middle of the universe. And as Christians, we still think that church and me, I am in the middle of the universe when we really need to realize that the S-O-N is in the middle of the universe. It's not about me. And it's not about you. The gospel is not some therapeutic message to show you how to have a better fight with your mate or to show you ten principles to have a better financial life. The gospel is to rescue needy sinners from a sure judgment and wrath of a holy God through the provision of His Son because He loves sinners so much. That's what the gospel is. We've reduced it to some therapeutic couch session. Where Jesus is your spiritual Santa Claus and He exists for your whim. And He's there just to fulfill you and fulfill you, give you fulfilling lives. And we're supposed to be fulfilled. And if you're not fulfilled, something's wrong. We've got to be fulfilled. We've got to be fulfilled. We need to be fulfilled. No, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit and renounce our sorry self and start trusting in the Savior whose soul wants to rescue people from a sure hell in judgment. Christian narcissism. That would be a good sermon. Christian narcissism. Christian narcissism. That's what we live. We are Christian narcissists. If there's ever been an oxymoron, that's an oxymoron. Christian narcissism. You are not the center of the universe. I hate to tell you that, We raise babies to say, you know, they cry like that. We go put something in their mouth to stop them from doing that. And what we do is we feed their flesh to let them know you're the center of the universe. You're the center of the home. We exist for you. And you know what? That appeals to their flesh, and they carry it into adulthood. And answer the gospel, you'll live and die that way. And the problem is, we as Christians need to discover right now, right here, and right now, Jesus Christ is the center of the universe, not me and you. Let's quit this foolishness and move on to greater living and quit being selfish and so prideful and full of ourselves, and ask God to make us full of Him. We need to quit this immediately. We need to quit it right now. You know why the gospel enterprise is being shut down and is weak for American missionaries going to other countries? It's because God doesn't want us exporting what we've got. I told you I had an Indian missionary tell me that we're praying for the church in America. I said, why is that? Or the, the Indians are praying for the church in America. India, India is praying for the church in America. The Christians over there. I said, why is that? He said, because they're seeing the missionaries that come over. They have little or no regard for the truth. You might as well be sending us somebody from the Peace Corps. Let's go over and show you how to have healthy water and dig a hole for your bathroom and all this other stuff. We'll show you all of this and then what we'll do is is we'll let you die and go to hell, but at least you'll be more comfortable when you make the trip. That's what we are. We're a gospelless, Bibleless, spiritless, dead, ineffective shame to the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to quit it today. Right now, we need to quit it. God didn't come to make my life better and make your life better. He came to rescue me and you from peril. It was a rescue mission because we were headed slap straight for hell. That's all there is to it. We were headed for hell. The only reason that you and I are not going to go there is because of the selfless act that was done right there to liberate us from selfish living. We don't have to live that way anymore. We don't have to act that way anymore. We don't have to do that anymore. Amen.